electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Yep, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of the rally. Stocks now going for their third positive week in a row. So we'll debate where things can really head from here with the Investment Committee. Everybody joining me at Post 9 today, Joe Terranova, Shannon Sakosha, Bill Baruch. Let's check the market. Got a little work to do. Dow's negative by about 21. There's the S&P flat. NASDAQ's down a touch, 445, the yield on the 10-year note. So we've had this, you know, going for this streak. Mm-hmm. Three in a row. Where, where do you think we really are now? We got, you know, uh, six yeah. weeks, six weeks or so between now and the end of the year. What are we primed to do, if anything, based on what we just did? You left the Russell out. The Russell, I think, yeah, is the, Ru- crit- the yeah, Russell, Russell is so critical. I got you. So the Russell's up 1% today, and I think that provides overall stability. I think markets are in a consolidation range right now. I think they're consolidating a very strong run. You have uh, significant options ex- expiration this afternoon. But I don't know. It's a very quiet market today, and, and generally, uh, history will tell me you don't sell a quiet market. I still think there's more room to the upside. I said that with you yesterday on closing bell. Turn the, the, the calendar into 2024. Okay, I understand things get more difficult when you're looking at what's the economy going to do, and I think it's going to be decelerating. But this chase for performance, even if we've had the majority of gains so far, I still think the bias, the inclination is is to go in and to be a buyer. And it looks like the last stage of this chase, chase for performance is really being led by the Russell catching up to the NASDAQ and the S&P. And that's what's happening today. All right. I mean, you make a very critical point because I feel like, Shan, um, when we ask the question at the top of the show, you know, how far can this rally go? It really does hang on that. And other places, I think, other than tech. We've talked about tech, mega cap so much. Joe points to Russell, which is up 5% this week. S&P equal weights up 3%. Materials up 3.5%. Industrials up 2 and 3 quarters percent. You have to wonder whether this is the start of something. And if it is, then that bear case and the bear narrative might truly be done. Well, I think this is what we've been talking about all year, that we've really needed this breath. And, and frankly, we haven't seen it and we've been wrong, right? We continue to see the market led by what's happening in the S&P 500, by those top, you know, seven, eight, ten names. And so I think that in setting up a rally through the, and I would agree with Joe, whether we're talking about from, from here to year end is a different story than the first six months of 2024. And so I think if we continue to see that breath, we're, what we're seeing, Scott, is we're seeing a lot of repositioning. We're seeing investors who are looking at where they want to be through the end of the year. They're looking Looking at some of those areas of the market that have underperformed, some of those areas of the market that potentially are less vulnerable to multiple compression and actually could experience some multiple expansion, especially if we're starting to price in rate cuts next year based on some of the economic data that we have. So I think now it's more of a 
relative trade. I don't think people are concerned, if you will, about the names that have done really well so far this year. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about upcoming earnings there. But I think what they're doing is saying, okay, what hasn't participated? What are some of these quality companies? Where do we see some earnings growth? Where do we see companies that have, have exhibited strong execution this year and maybe haven't participated? Those would be nice names to have in my portfolio mm -hmm. as we close out the year. You know, Bill, Tom Lee, base case, uh, S&P to gain an additional 5%. 4750 to 4800 by the end of the year. Here's what Wharton professor Jeremy Siegel told me earlier in the week on closing bell what he thinks we can do from here in the S&P before the end of the year. Listen. Well, if we we just take November and, and December and we don't see a, a a big slowdown, I mean we 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 see a slowdown but nothing that looks like it's turning into a recession, you know, we could we could do another 5, 6, 7%, maybe even 10% maybe even 10%. Uh, do you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, I, I would not be surprised, and I actually think it's, it's pretty likely we could see record highs before the end of the year. I mean, bravo to the S&P this week. I mean, from my technical math, this is one of the most healthy consolidations over the last couple of days I've seen in a while after such a massive thrust higher that we saw after CPI and that followed through. I, so to play devil's advocate, because you know I'm bullish, everybody knows I'm bullish here, and I think it's pretty constructive. But where I'm concerned is we've seen May, from a, from a probability standpoint, uh, the CME's Fed watch tool say that there's more than a 50% chance that they cut rates by May. My fear would be that gets hurt it gets priced out and pushed back a little bit. Look at housing starts and building permits today. Those came in a little hotter than expected. Although the Treasury market is really unchanged, yields are off the overnight lows pretty significantly. And I, so I'm watching the data. If the data heats back up a little bit, you start getting those, that probability pushed out, and that would be a concern here to, to halt the rally. Uh, without that, though, I think record highs are in the cards. All right, so, Joe, I mean, Bill brings up a good point, a mistake that the market has made before, which is get too dovish. Start expecting that cuts are going to happen when cuts aren't that realistic. Now, you know, you hear from the 20 or so Fed speakers that we are going to have in total this week. There may be some before the end of this day, but we've, we've certainly had a lot. The message seems to be we are positioned to be patient, like Colin said earlier. No one to a person is going to come out on the Fed and say we're done. Nobody's going to say that inflation has been, you know, beaten down and, and our job is over and successful. But to a person, they are pretty much saying the same thing at this point. We're positioned to be patient. I don't want to come across as being disrespectful to the Federal Reserve because they should be applauded for their public service. But I'm going to watch the bond market. I'm going to watch the long end of the curve. I'm going to look at the 10-year. I'm going to look at the 30-year. The 10-year touched 438 today. Uh, we've got five, uh, 456 on a 30-year, 445 right now for a 10-year. So there doesn't seem to be that type of urgency that's signaling maybe the, do the dovish narrative is, is incorrect. Um, I'm not. Oh, no, not yet for certain. But if you look at where we're starting to price cuts. Okay, but that's the bearish argument, and that's fine. And for the bears out there, listen, let whatever's going to happen in terms of the momentum and. What do you mean it's the bear? No, I don't necessarily think it is the bearish argument. The I think bearish it is argument is you never get the cuts. The bearish argument is you will not get the cuts, that it will be higher for longer, and that rates will move back towards 5%. That's oh, I, thought the bearish I thought you were going to say the bearish argument is they have to cut when when the market expects them to because no. the economy is going to go no, into no, no, the no. tank. Where I was going to suggest, you know what, the craziest scenario of all is the Fed cuts because it can, because inflation continues to come down and the economy remains strong enough, hence the soft landing. 
But I think that's the I think that's the big question, right? I mean, if you're if you're in a, a soft landing scenario, that is that is really what people are looking at as the potential for that is that the delta is just so high between the Fed funds rate and inflation that it gives the the Fed really an impetus or an impulse to cut rates. The challenge is, Scott, to Joe's point, I think there's a lot of emphasis that's been placed by equity investors over the last four to five, six weeks on what the Fed is saying. And the problem is, is that we have a wonky, you know, treasury auction. That's what creates volatility in the bond market. That's what's creating volatility in the equity market. And so I think, you know, as long as we're getting, you know, appropriate telegraphing from the treasury and we keep the bond market moving right in this range, we start to tick up. We see some of this additional rate volatility. That's really the big thing that could upset this rally through the end of the year. But we don't have a lot of bonds that are coming onto the market. And so I think as long as we kind of look at that calendar and say, what are the potential pitfalls ahead of us? There aren't a lot of those left. I don't think I honestly I mean, I agree with you. And I don't think any of this Fed speak with all due respect to all of the speakers. To Joe's point, I don't think it means anything until Powell himself takes that podium and the next Fed meeting next month or whatever subsequent speaker speaking engagements he has between now and a blackout period in advance of that. I don't think any of, of this matters one bit. Joe's right. Bond market is going to decide. And there aren't that many catalysts. We're going to we're going to talk about one of the, the catalysts co- coming up. But what about, Bill, this note, um, Wolf, overbought conditions starting to emerge. D- does that even matter? Michael Hartnett, Bank of America, says fade above forty five fifty. That would, if that does, in fact, happen to throw a little bit of ointment in your, you know, we can go to record highs between now and the end of the year. What do you make of what they're both saying? I, I mean, I think with the move that we've had, a continued consolidation at minimum, I mean, that's, that's healthy. We could see a little bit of pullback. Nothing moves in a straight line. But here's to say to their point, around Thanksgiving and a little bit after, around Christmas and a little bit after, we can see a little bit of softness in the market. I, I wouldn't be surprised at some points to see a little bit of pullbacks. Bears get a little excited. But at the end of the day, and I did point to the stronger data today from building permits and housing starts, at the end of the day, I do think the data continues to slow. The real question is the consumer, and I'm confident the consumer is going to slow in November and December. I think holiday spending tightens up. You look back at retail sales, which came in strong this week. You look back, well, not not really a strong number, just better than expected, but if you look back at retail sales November, December of last year, we really tightened up, and that's when people actually saved money to replenish the pocketbook from traveling all year. So I think that we could see that, and that's going to be a gift to the Fed. It's going to be a gift to the market. There's going to be volatility. There's going to be days that we kind of see the market gyrate around, but I mean, right now, I'm not seeing anything that says we're going to have a pullback. Yeah, I mean, we're not really seeing anything as of now that su- suggests, Joe, that you're going to have any meaningful pullback in mega cap tech. All right, well, tech well, sector's up 50% yeah. on the year. NASDAQ 100's up 45% on the year. Though Wells Fargo's Chris Harvey suggests you're going to get some profit taking. I mean, how could you not? Well, maybe NVIDIA will help out that profit taking uh, argument that they're, that they're making on Tuesday. But Look, statistically, here's the way I think you have to look at this. It's simple. The S&P 500 holds above 4470. Uh, you have a very strong probability to challenge the July highs up at 4607. If it uh, breaks down below 4470, you probably go into the gap to fill down to 4420. And you have to watch the Russell up against the 200-day moving average where it's bumped its head the other day. 1825, I think, is, is the, the level uh, for the uh, for the Russell bumps its head up against there again. That's going to provide difficulty. It breaks out through there, and we're going higher. So what's what's really riding Bill on Nvidia? Uh, October thirty first, Halloween. The stock was four hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, four hundred bucks on October thirty first. 
We'll show you the price now <laughs> because the price action since then has been incredible. The stock's near 500 bucks yep. now. So what is riding on this next week? So I, I think really if you, for the rally, I mean, it's been a big momentum. It's held a level at 400 that, that everybody is looking at. And I think that's built a terrific technical base. And there's definitely momentum. But I think the risks can be really to the upside. They are the leader in AI and GPUs. They are still the, the heavyweight champion right now. But are they going to unveil a second generation GPU? Are they, going to, are they going to have a timeline to that? And then not only that, I mean, we've seen those last two quarters, even that August quarter, it didn't have the aftermath of, of a trade that people liked. But it was just a lot of buildup. But if they even top those expectations, I think after this consolidation between 400 and 500, risk is to the upside. But see, I, I just wonder, you know, does a 237.5% gain this year, Joe, matter? I, I, I bring it in the context of, my gosh, the stock has already gone up a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. City on Microsoft today, for example, closes out their positive catalyst watch. Why? Because the stock's had such notable outperformance over the last two to three months. They, they're not... They're still, they still love it. They're just not pounding the table, they say, with the same vigor that they had before. Can we look through the prism of that into this? NVIDIA and say, you know what, maybe it's time to just like chill. So uh, I'm, I'm going to respond speaking my own You do own that, book. I'll grab a sip of water, um, go ahead. I'm equally weighted in my ownership of NVIDIA and given the staggering year to date performance we've seen from NVIDIA, if your ownership of it is market cap weighted, Absolutely. It makes sense to pare back your holding in NVIDIA as you move towards the end of the year uh, and turn it to 2024. I also think the derivative off of the NVIDIA earnings report and call is what's the overall state of spending from a lot of these mega cap companies that are right now aggressively spending on generative AI and utilizing the product from NVIDIA uh, for where the source of funds is going. So I think the state of technology is really important to understand. Is it still in a really good place? But no, without question, if you have a market cap ownership, uh, market cap weighted ownership of NVIDIA, uh, you're ringing the register on some of that position. Well, and I would just add, I mean, I think we've, we talk all year about the potential for enterprise spending to decline from other industries into the tech sector. Now, this is really a, a, a story about what is enterprise spending for tech companies look like going into next year? What are they going to have to spend in order to meet the needs of their customers to create that additional surge, if you will, and, and have that continue into 20 2024, I think the, the, the biggest question right now is how much do they need to spend and how much will the market be willing to digest on that spending? This isn't 2018. The cost of capital isn't zero. So we really need to think about what does that number look like? And so it could be a boon for NVIDIA, we, but we could see a reaction, if you will, to Joe's point on expectations for other companies that are NVIDIA's customers thinking about justifying and rationalizing that amount of spend. The entire you know, run of your largest positions are made up 99% by mega caps, right? Apple one, Alphabet two, Amazon three, Microsoft six, NVIDIA seven. So, I mean, you, you can't really afford for there to be a lot of profit taking in this area. You're right. I mean, I'm positioned very heavily. Now, here's the thing. I mean, when and I talked about it all summer long. I mean, we were looking for the seasonal weakness. So I've actually, it's not like I sat 
in, was heavily weighted in these all year long. I've gone shopping with 20% cash over the, over the last month and a half to two months and reestablishing these names. I, I mean, none of, a lot of these names were not even in my top five still. And NVIDIA is actually seven you know, at this point now, but um, a lot of these names fell out of my top five as I took, ca- took cash um, and then reestablishing these positions. I'm, I'm bold up now and have been bold up for the last couple of weeks. All right. I mean, speaking of where you're putting some cash to work, Western Digital, that's a new buy for you. It is. It is. It's been on my radar for, for quite a while. Now, Micron is in our top 10. It's, it's in the same space in the memory space right now. And one of the things I really like from the Micron CEO this year has noted the trough in memory demand. Now, Western Digital, I mean, they've had some some just obviously developing news over the year. Kyoxa uh, was, was a merger that they were talking about, and it has been terminated. They also decided to spin off SanDisk, which is in the last two weeks, which is all happening since the end of October, it's rallied significantly out of the hole. And I think that's really good news. They've been able to restructure some debt. They have one more wave of debt to restructure, um, hopefully here by the end of the year. And with rates coming down, I think it sets the company in a really solid place to perform. And here's the thing, in a lower inflation environment that we're still seeing decent to better growth, this is the type of name that you want to, you want to own. Uh, and I expect it to perform. I mean, talking about Micron, making 52-week highs today. And on top of that, it's, it's, it's up, what, 40%? It's very quiet, 40% this year. And Micron's in our top 10. I know you, you, you can't own everything. But did you miss this? I mean, you want to talk about what would be perceived to be quality and momentum. Mm -hmm. You think this is quality? Um, Because the momentum is obviously there. It's up 15.5% in three months, 26% in six months, and almost 48% year to date. Mm. So at least check that box. Uh, Unfortunately, you have to pull the lens back a little bit further. I'm looking at it right now. You go back to 2021. This stock was literally cut in half from where it was in 2021. Memory's been a difficult place to be in the semi in the semi space. Um, So fundamentally, do I call this pure quality? Probably not. I think uh, more recently you could make the argument that, yes, the momentum is there, but on a longer term, observation of momentum no the momentum is is not positive on the long term you feel like the momentum is positive on applied materials for example which you do have in the joti and what's the difference in the way you view both applied materials down five percent today we made it our chart of the day yeah that's 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 tough that's on news now let's keep in mind they already revealed a subpoena in october of 2022 you have the justice department that's bringing in inquiry and by by the way yesterday the earnings were fine unfortunately the earnings became obscured by the justice department inquiry this relates to selling uh to the Chinese, a lot of millions of dollars worth of materials that were potentially restricted. So we'll see where that goes. I'm never going to really move out of a position because of a Justice Department inquiry. The earnings were there. They were strong. The performance in the near term has been strong. We'll see what happens with the position and where this goes with the Justice Department. Explain to me once again, because I find myself confused. And if I'm confused, I just wonder if maybe I'm not the only one. Okay. by what metric do you define something as being of quality? Return on equity, debt to equity, and 36-month annualized sales growth. And then within the 36 months, you could measure the last four quarters, and then you could measure the last eight quarters. So you, I know obviously we're, and what's we, can't, the trend? we can't do all these numbers uh, in, in real time okay. to decipher what makes AMAT a quality um, because the, it doesn't have, I mean, the near-term momentum's not fabulous, mm-hmm. um, whereas Western Dig, you said, is not quality, but obviously has momentum. Um, far better, far better 
debt to equity, far better return on equity and more of a reasonable valuation. And, and I always hate to say valuation is not a predictor of where a stock price is going to go. I don't believe that. But there is a more, val, uh, more of a reasonable valuation that reflects a better balance sheet. I think that's what a more reasonable valuation is signaling. What about the chips right here, Shan? Uh, because, you know, there's been a pretty good debate of late about, I mean, I'm just thinking of the Michael Burry, you know, short of the puts on the, uh, I think it's the SMH, and just the positioning of that and how some are viewing it, thinking that there's going to be some downside. What about you? Well, we've been talking about, you know, there was a there was clearly a, a chip shortage, you know, in the, you know, kind of post-pandemic period. And so there's been a lot of talk about inventory build. And, you know, it, frankly, you know, with everything that's changing in terms of, you know, the combination of, of what's needed from CPU versus GPU, what's needed for data center growth, what are we thinking about from an infrastructure spend? There's a lot of questions about who become the new leaders um, within the semi-space. And I think, you know, if you're able to kind of take a step back and look at, you know, longer term trends in terms of potential spending in technology, I think that you see this sort of longer term secular tailwind. I think on a quarter by quarter, year by year basis, though, you're going to see some fits and starts, whether it's concerns about China exposure, Taiwan exposure, whether it's concerns about what is the, you know, what's the next phase. Um, and so I think the, the semiconductor companies that have been challenged have really been challenged more on execution, Scott, less on market factors. And I think now we're going to start to see some divergence some dispersion as it relates to where they think spending is going to be coming from over the next couple of years. I also think just to wrap it up and go back to NVIDIA for a second, you know, the idea that, you know, a good NVIDIA report is kind of a rising tide lifts all boats or a differentiating factor where NVIDIA just shows why it has distanced itself in performance yeah. from some of these other chip names. So it's hard. I don't know that it's yeah, I, perfect to just no, read I, a you know a broad brush. Hey, all the chips are going to go up if Nvidia knocks it out of the park on Tuesday. I, th I think that's a great point. I think there's a lot of complexity on on Tuesday, and, and and quite candidly, I see the importance of the earnings report. I'm not so sure what the response is going to be. I mean, you could have Nvidia where they have another blowout earnings report, and the stock doesn't go higher. I mean, that, that that's how investing and that's how trading sometimes works. So I'm not really sure what's the reaction going to be. That's the real question. Isn't it more their game to lose? than to win at this point, and as it, especially as it relates to the space that they're in. I don't know. I mean, People think that they're just going to continue to distance themselves in terms of market share, so maybe not so much. I, I don't know. It, in a week in which Microsoft announced a new chip, which you know they think is going to make them less reliant on NVIDIA's product over, over time as it relates to, to AI. Um, we'll see. Let's take a break. When we come back, oil's rough week. Energy stocks falling into correction off 10% from their 52-week high. What do you do? Do you buy the pullback? Is there more pain ahead? We debate it. We're back in two. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. Crude oil rallying today. It's still in a bear market, though, down 22% from its 52-week high. Joe, this is now on pace now for its fourth negative week. Um, you know, we're getting to the end of a period in which I know I keep bringing this up, but I can't help myself because you've you got a lot of exposure here. Yeah. Bill's got a lot of exposure here as well. The end of the period in which you said was make it or break it for this space. Yeah, no, and listen, there's, I think there's a lot of equity investors have significant uh, energy exposure. Uh, yes, at the end of January, I think we'll be making uh, some some difficult uh, decisions based on what the rules are dictating we need to be doing uh, for these two factors, quality and momentum. But crude oil is in a really perilous position right now, and it needs a recovery. It needs a recovery fast. Now, you're moving into expiration. So as you move into expiration, that could be a potential inflection point. You're coming up on the OPEC Plus meeting at the end of the month. Um, I would be surprised to see oil go below $70, but oil has a tendency to surprise everyone. So uh, I, I'd love and hopefully at some point we'll hear what Mark Fisher has to think about the spot price of, of oil itself. But we've got a nice bounce here today, up about two and a half dollars. And energy equities, thankfully, are responding up 2%. So I'm happy about that. Bill Baruch. Yes. Um, Chenier, Marathon, Shell, SLB, Exxon. 15. So Joe's overweight the space. Yeah. You're like really overweight. Very. You're 15% of the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and here's the thing. I mean, last year we were 15 to 20% and started taking it down in the early part of the year. We loaded back in in May. I mean, look at a lot of this stuff has done really well since May. So this pullback, and to Joe's point, the expiration of the December contract, December, and when you get to futures, talk about futures trading, December is a big month, not only for crude oil, but a lot of a lot of the futures. So yesterday was the options expiration. And, and so a lot of options, especially institutions that are hedging and producers that are hedging, may go out to December contracts. When this thing was rolling off the board yesterday, it created it's a, a sort of a, a pocket, you know, and, and there was an air pocket that the market started breaking new lows. You already had a lot of institutions dumping exposure in oil after some of the war premium was coming out. We hit an air pocket. It's no surprise to see it bounce a bit here today. I think, though, that crude is going to continue to, to trade uh, fairly well, and then I think we could chop around a bit and, and improve. The thing about it is, as Joe pointed to, the OPEC Plus meeting coming around the corner, uh, you have Brent, the, basically the, the world uh, staple for, for oil is below 80. OPEC Plus can really start to jawbone 
a little bit on that. On top of that, J.P. Morgan said earlier this week they wouldn't be surprised to see more uh, production constraints from OPEC. So I think it's another. And then China, they're destocking. I think China is really going to ramp up imports first quarter this year. So I, I love the names that we have. I think it would be interesting, too, if President Biden's administration begins to refill the SPR if prices did dip below 70 once again. And obviously uh, that gesture would be welcomed by the Saudis. There has been a bit, as you pointed out, I think, the other day about decoupling between the significant the, the, mm -hmm. the price of yes. crude and the performance of energy stocks. Yes. Um, significant. So lasting. Um, In other words, your point was energy, the energy sector wasn't down as much as as crude was itself. Well, yeah. So what happens if that catches up? Well, let's give the statistics so far month to date. You've got spot oil down a little more than six percent. Energy equities are down 50 basis points on the quarter. On the quarter, spot crude oil is down 17 percent, and the XLE is down 6 percent. Um, I, I think what does that speak towards? I think that speaks towards the condition, the strength of the balance sheet for a lot of these uh, energy companies. I think it speaks towards a very strong capital allocation strategy, which we know a lot of them have and, and have been maintaining. So uh, that, again, you know, you, you say to yourself as someone who's overweight energy, that's one of the reasons why you want to stay there in the sector because of the managerial discipline and the strong operational element that's being exhibited from these energy companies. And it's represented in um, a better performance relative to what spot prices are And these energy companies, doing. these research companies, are marking these companies to $50 to $60 crude oil. When's the last time we've seen $50 crude oil? We've so, got, I mean, I think that's a good thing, yeah, too. We have unnatural supply constraints coupled with demand questions. That's why you're seeing this, this tentativeness, if you will, about you know, the potential for oil to continue to, to be under pressure. All right, uh, let's get the headlines now with Silvana Hanau. Hi, Silvana. Hey, Scott. Well, the United Nations warned of widespread starvation as it announced it can't deliver food and other supplies in Gaza anymore amid a communications blackout. Telephone and internet services collapsed Thursday in the region because of a lack of fuel. A federal judge is tossing out North Dakota's electoral maps for violating federal law. He ruled the state's 2021 redistricting plan does not give Native Americans, who make up about 5% of the state's population, an equal opportunity to elect candidates. The Republican-controlled legislature has until December 22nd to draw a new map. And attorneys for a group of Michigan activists trying to get Donald Trump removed from the state's 2024 presidential ballot are trying to take their fight to the state Supreme Court. They are asking for the court to hear an appeal of a lower court's ruling siding with Trump. They claim the former president violated the Constitution for his role in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. The Trump campaign says they are trying to deny Americans a right to choose their next president. Scott, back to you. All right, Silvana, thank you, Silvana. Yeah. Now, coming up, we'll do our calls of the day. A big upgrade for one stock reporting earnings next week. Should you buy it ahead of the print? We'll debate it. We'll do it next. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, 
Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Calls of the day. All right, Joe, your first. Analog devices upgraded to overweight. That's from Equal. Uh, Morgan Stanley. Tuesday before the bell, they report earnings price target to 225 from 176. It's in the Joe T. You have to believe in the trough for analog, and that's what the analyst is citing here. The trough potentially is coming in Q2 of 2024. Uh, they've done a very good job in managing the business in a clearly challenged environment. This is a stock that we have had in the strategy since October of 2021. So more recently, uh, we've been participating in the underperformance that it's had relative to the other semis. Okay. Uh, Bank of America on Salesforce today says it's emerging as the next quality GARP stock. Hmm. You want to take that too? Uh, they reiterate buy. It's the top pick. 280 bucks is the price target. That's 26% upside. Say it's likely to outpace industry growth by 12 to 15%. So, you know, there's, there's operational efficiency, and they should be applauded for realizing that it was time to focus on that because the last several years they were focused on spending significantly in, in acquisitions, but they made uh, a clear pivot. This is a stock that was introduced to the strategy in April, earlier this year. Um, glad that it has done what it has done, but I like the direction that management is taking and really focusing on what's our balance sheet going to be looking like. You sold it. So end of last year, I sold it. So it's been on my portfolio for a while. It was it was a tax loss harvesting move. And I mean, it, but where did the cash go? The cash went to like NVIDIA and Apple and things like that. But here's the thing. In the first few months of this year, the thing was up quite a bit. In the last six months, Salesforce is up 6%. Hasn't done much at all. So I, I think I, I like the, the call here, growth at a reasonable price. Uh, I do like the, the shift that Benioff is back at, the, back at the helm pretty much. I think that was one of my concerns last year too, is that they were bringing in somebody else to sort of co-CEOs co and what was the direction of the company. They're spending a lot of money. The Slack acquisition really didn't work out as well as they hoped. So I think there's a little more direction here potentially. I mean, it's still up, you know, what, almost 50% or so over the last year. I know how you try to drop in there. Well, we put the money, did you catch that? We put the money in Apple and NVIDIA <laughs> trying, to, trying to make it look better. Come on, dude. I mean, it's, a fine, on. it's a finite amount of capital. Has to, if you're not invested in one, one spot, you have, you have to put it somewhere else. So I, I'm happy with the moves we made. And uh, we'll, you, know, you miss some and you hit some. All right. I'm just keeping you honest. That's yeah. all. Uh, intuitive Surgical. It's how it works around here, yeah. dude. Um, 318 initiated by at HSBC. Joe, you have uh, ISRG. Da Vinci System. Robotic Surgery. And as you move forward, the story with Intuitive Surgical has been about the hardware. Now it's going to be about the improvement in software. Uh, Intuitive Surgical has outperformed its peers in the healthcare space. It's, to me, a core holding uh, for anyone that believes that you can now take technology and apply it to healthcare, healthcare services, healthcare equipment. Do you okay. think the uh, concern on bariatric is overstated? Um, no, I think, it's, I think that's one of the reasons why the stock recently 
has had a little bit of an underperformance. I, I think that's something that there's validity to. I don't think you dismiss it completely. You want to talk about Expedia, which was upgraded and Airbnb downgraded? Expedia is up 40. Both, both by Evercore. Expedia ISI. is up 43% so far in the month of November. Okay. All right. So it's a, okay. late, it's a little late. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> we, we added it on October 31st, so we're, we're very happy about that. Um, Expedia has clearly been the beneficiary of not having so much of its market share in the Middle East like Booking Holdings presently does. Um, right now, when you're measuring Expedia relative to Booking Holdings, relative to Airbnb, it's clear that you're seeing a significant amount of capital flowing into Expedia. The challenge for Airbnb, they talked about it on the conference call, it's the, the stickiness in terms of supply, and they also said that they were beginning to see demand weaken as well. So uh, Airbnb is another name that we own, and there's been certainly a significant underperformance relative to Expedia month to date. All right, Mike Santoli, Midday Words, coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli is at the desk with me now. Um, so if this is the week where you want to say, hey, it's broadening out, yeah. you got some good ammo. I mean, 3% for the S&P equal weight, 5% yes. for the Russell, yep. and now the test is going to be whether it's sustainable. Yeah. If, is it just kind of a force in and a combination squeeze and a chase for beta, or is it a little more sustainable? Now, we were at such extremes that you could still see the mean reversion work for a while and still not be some kind of big leadership change over the long term. To me, it's always been about, are they both trending in the right direction, the average stock and the mega caps, as opposed to, uh, you know, they, that somehow small caps have to outperform or that the average stock has to outperform. So there's a lot of dynamics here where after that initial burst of a rally, it was broad enough, but not overwhelmingly broad that where you'd say this is this is buys you six months of upside. That's sometimes what happens. Uh, that didn't really occur in, the, in this last couple of weeks where the next two or three percent feels like a coin flip. But uh, the, the environment's much more benign. I mean, if we're decelerating to a two percent GDP pace in the fourth quarter, as it kind of seems yields way off the boil. And, um, you know, people not yet over optimistic, I think, about what what stocks can deliver aside from just maybe a little more of a bump toward the year's highs. Seems like it's a pretty comfortable environment. VIX under 14. I think we should remind folks stock market's only going to be open three and a half days over the next nine days. So you should have that volatility expected to bleed out of the market. NVIDIA, you want to uh, take on what you think the meaning of this is now? I mean, what's the meaning of it is um, I, I think the importance of it is for the company to somehow address the sustainability of the demand and this story that's building that it's really a lot of hoarding and it doesn't really have legs and maybe there's a front load of a lot of the earnings expectations. To me, that's the key. I would not want to handicap how it trades off Uh, of any number. I wish we could show. Well, this kind of shows like the um, October 31st, the stock was at 400 bucks. Yeah, I know. I know. And here we are. 
we're on November 17th. No. It's at it's, 500 bucks. It's, it's honestly, it, it really has taken on the character of what Tesla was, which is you didn't think a stock of that market cap could move that much. And it's got the whole call options chase and the big we're saving the world story behind it. So um, that makes it very hard to handicap, makes it pretty important, I think, for animal spirits, but not really as a, as a macro tell. Yeah, all right. I'll see you a couple hours right. closing bell. Mike Santoli. Straight ahead, one retailer having its best day of the year after earnings. One of our committee members own it. That means we trade it, find out what they're doing in it. We'll do that in a couple minutes. Welcome back, Ross Stores. That's leading the S&P today. Take a look at that nice-looking chart. I know you have, Joe, uh, because you own it in the Joe T. Best day of the year. Best day of the year. They reaffirmed their sales outlook. Uh, being at a time where a lot of retailers are talking about slowdown, they're cautious, apparel's been a real question mark, leaning negative. What about this? Yeah, we, we spoke about this yesterday on yeah. Closing Bell with Courtney Reagan. Uh, there, was, there was concern, certainly after what TJX reported, um, off price, though, has such strong momentum. It's where right now a cost-conscious consumer can actually go. This was a very strong report. This is a report that's indicating that that cost-conscious consumer is still directing their buying intentions towards off price. It's lifted TJX a little. It's also lifted Burlington, which will report next week. We own Burlington as well. Burlington's up about 5% today. This is really the middle income story. We've talked about this, Scott. You know, we see the high income consumer. They really haven't changed their spending patterns. We've seen the low income consumer under a lot of pressure. We see that with Dollar General. Um, this is really an example of that trade down. In, and to Joe's point, probably has a little bit more momentum behind it from a longer term perspective because consumers are continuing to feel that pressure. Um, and so I think they're benefiting maybe from some of the weakness that we might see in some other retailers in the holiday season. Yeah, I, I like the momentum from this report. Now, the CEO did note that, that some tough comps going for the quarter four that they're going to have to face after a strong year last year. Stock hasn't done much all year until this move. It's basically up 10%, up now up 8 It's, it's kind of reaffirms my move to Target we, we highlighted uh, yesterday. I, I, I've been very negative on the consumer, avoided it like the plague all year, and I'm kind of waking up to, even though I think November, December could be a little slow, I'm waking up to the consumer here, and I think that we could turn next year and see some of these stocks perform much better than they did. This I mean, you year. bought Target, right? Yes. You recently bought Target, so you're still making some bets on. Uh, I think it's fair to say maybe the, the same stratosphere of the consumer. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, Target isn't only the consumer. I'm looking at names in the bottom 10 of the 30 stocks that we own. I'm looking at names that what could really double over the next year. Western Digital was one. Obviously, we're added. Target could go. I think Target could be at $200. What about Gap? 
You don't want Gap after up 30% this morning? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. If you don't own Gap already, you're not in there. You can't go chasing that at this point. But that's kind of what I'm looking at when I'm, when I'm establishing from a portfolio basis. You're not in these big top 10 names I own. On the bottom 10, positioning-wise, what can really do some heavy lifting for me next year? And what can I add into? I would love to be able to add more Target. Ross is on my radar right now. I would love to be able to add more Western Digital, which we talked about earlier. So yeah. that's how I'm looking at things. I mean, we have more retail coming next week. We're, we're going to do that next. I mean, you got Lowe's and Best Buy, Burlington. American Eagle, uh, Urban, Nordstrom. So you get a good read. Uh, we're going to trade, by the way, the earnings that are coming up next week. Get you set up. That's what we like to call it, the setup. There are a lot of uh, companies that you want to know about, too. We'll do it next. All right, welcome back. Let's do hit a few of those names reporting next week. I, I did mention, let's take Burlington uh, for starters. Joe, take that first because it does report. Well, the problem you now have is because of what happened, the reaction to Ross Store, you've now really raised the bar even higher for Burlington. So this stock is going to have to deliver a whopper of a strong earnings report next week uh, to get further positive reaction like you're getting today off of Ross. What about uh, analog devices also Tuesday before the bell? Yeah, we, we talked about that earlier. Um, I expect the earnings will be strong for this company. There has been a degree of resiliency. And let's see if in their guidance, they signal towards what we heard in that analyst note where you could have the trough uh, for a Q2 of 2024. Okay. So uh, guidance will be key. Sorry. Autodesk Tuesday after the bell? Don't you have that? Autodesk? You have yep. that? Autodesk. Why are you looking uh, at him? No, I didn't know if you wanted to, you know, he, he looked like you wanted to uh, jump in. Autodesk, that's one in a little bit of a perilous position for us. Um, Is that why you looked at him? <laughs> yeah, probably. Don't looking like a, take that looking away for a reflective. It's like, what? I didn't hear you. I don't know. I, yeah. don't know. I can't. My earpiece isn't working. So what? Autodesk is going to need to really uh, pull together a strong earnings report. I'm not necessarily sure that that's exactly what you're going to hear from this company. Uh, we'll find out. All right. I mean, if you looked at I'm gonna, him, I'm going to be brief on that one. If you looked at him on Autodesk, then who are you going to look at when I bring up Deer? I'll, I'll, I can hop on that one. Well, Deer, no, we, no, no. Uh, he's going to do it first. <laughs> Deer, we could call. Making me work here. Deer, we could call. Well, you up, own Deer. Uh, I do own Deer, and Deer's been Deer's been challenging. The only one that's done well in Deer so far year to get date is Steve Weiss. He's traded that spectacularly. Um, the ag cycle is in trouble. Commodities are in trouble. You know, it's very clear. What's it signaling? Demand is weakening in the entire commodity space. Uh, deer is at the, the lower end of the annual range. Uh, similar to what I said about Autodesk, this stock is in a perilous position. Okay. I'll use that term to describe it. So you own Caterpillar instead of Deer. Yes. Now yeah. you please proceed. Well, he did make a good point about, about Deer right now. If you look back to last year, agriculture prices are significantly lower than they were in 2022 coming out of the, the Ukraine invasion. So you had a lot of small to medium-sized farmers spending a lot of money. And you know, I run a commodities brokerage, and 60, you know, two-thirds of our business comes from small to medium-sized farmers who are hedging. And, and a lot of people spent CapEx, and they're not spending it this year. And so Deer, I think, is, that could be a little bit of a drag. But Deer is also involved in construction, which Caterpillar is really going to be the big beneficiary of when you talk about the Inflationary Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of companies noted uh, in earnings reports that the, there's delays in this money coming out. I think Caterpillar is going to be a bigger beneficiary there, both around the same multiple, around around a 12. But I, I, I like Caterpillar much more for a couple of those couple now, reasons. Now, the one that you, do we have time? The Go one ahead. that you didn't mention? Yeah. Best Buy. Of all the names that I don't own it, okay. that's the one that's most fascinating to me. Scott, they've had seven quarters, seven quarters of sales decline. So, do you get a target reaction 
in Best Buy, or are we at the point where we say, okay, there's confirmation, Best Buy got Amazon? All right, well, we'll see. Thank you for bringing that up. We'll do final trades next. All right, 3 o'clock Eastern, closing bell. We got Dan Greenhouse, Greg Branch, Christina Hooper, Johnny Filioni, he's the BNP Paribas Vice Chairman. He's going to tell us uh, his perspective on the markets. Really good global perspective as well. Look forward to catching up with everybody and hope you'll join me. Bill Baru, final trade first. Synopsis, I want to get this on everybody's radar. They do electronic design automation for all the chips. NVIDIA is a client. They report in two weeks, but watch NVIDIA's report. This stock is up 50% since breaking out in, in June. It's, just, it's, it's our top, it's our number four stock. You gotta watch this name. Shannon. Municipal bonds, great tax equivalent yields and a lot better um, fiscal uh, stability in municipalities than there have been in other times of economic uh, potential slowdown. The Joe T. The recovery in Lennar is spectacular. You could own Lennar or DR Horton. All right, good stuff, thanks. Good weekend, I'll see you on Closing Bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 